Luke chapter 3, verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the Almighty's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of the Almighty. He then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that the Almighty is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, What should we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force, or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with a fire that never goes out. Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him about Herodias, his brother's wife, and about all the evil things Herod had done, added this to everything else. He locked John up in prison. We're going to begin by going to Luke chapter 3, verse 7, and I want to talk about something called fruit production today, and you'll see when we get into our text what that's all about. Luke 3, verse 7 says this, He, speaking of John the baptizer, said to the crowds, Who came out to be baptized by him? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? We talked last week about this guy that a lot of people think is a wild man. I believe that a lot of people wouldn't like him if he was here today because he kind of spoke things just as they were. He didn't sand off those rough burrs on the edges there, Brother Ron. He just spoke it out exactly as he saw it. And I believe that he was sent by Yahweh. We learned last week, according to verse 2, that Yahweh's word came to John and was commissioning him in what he was to do. And here in verse 7, he begins to talk with these crowds. If you look down to verse 10... These crowds are mentioned again where it says, What then should we do? The crowds 
or asking them. Now, if you're reading the King James Bible, in verse 7 it will have the word multitude, and in verse 10 it will have the word people. The HCSB uses crowds in both verses. The Greek text of the New Testament uses the same word. Oklos is the Greek word in both cases. So the people of verse 7 that he's talking to is the same people that asked the question in verse 10, what then are we to do? And we'll get to verse 10 here in a second. And it says here in verse 7 that they were coming to be baptized by John. Remember this was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of confession. It was a baptism of the remission of sins. But John looks at these people that he's talking to and he says, you brood of vipers. And literally what that means is offspring of snakes. That's what it means. He calls these people offspring of snakes. Now, I take this to be spiritual. I do not believe that these people that John was talking to were literally birthed by snakes or by a snake. You know, that, it's, that is a doctrine that some people believe. It's called the serpent seed doctrine. And I wouldn't use this verse to promote it. And this is because I believe John is speaking spiritual. Offspring of vipers is the same thing as like when the Bible would say, child of the devil or son of Belial. Do you remember who was it? Was it Eli's sons that were called sons of Belial? And that means they're sons of worthless men. And some people in the Bible are called a child of the devil. Other people are called a child of Yahweh. And I don't believe that either of those, children of the devil or children of Yahweh, have anything to do with being the direct offspring of either the devil or the direct offspring of Yahweh. What it is, is it's your functional status, who you serve, who your life is going towards, who your life is going after. If your life is going after sin, unrighteousness, wickedness, then you classify yourself under the category of an offspring of the snake of the serpent, that old devil, Satan, as we call him. If you practice righteousness, if you do that which is holy, you classify yourself as a child of Almighty Yahweh. See, So Yahweh is it's a spiritual relationship, and with the devil it's a spiritual relationship too. But even though it's spiritual, at least that's the way that I see it, it's still not pleasant to be called a brood of vipers. Imagine the men are coming. I don't normally preach like that when I preach to people. I don't say, you offspring of a snake, you know, or you brood of vipers. Most people would look at you and think, who in the world are you talking to, you know, calling me the offspring of a snake. But that's what John does. And he doesn't make apologies about it. He says, you brood of vipers, you children of the snake, who has warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come? And I think he's being sarcastic there at the end of verse 7. In other words, who's warned you? You're not interested in what I have to offer. You don't want to be baptized by me. You're not ready to repent of your sin. You're not ready to confess your unrighteousness before the Heavenly Father. You don't want to partake in what I have in my ministry. Who's warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Very, very potent, very powerful. John the Baptist would be called a legalist by most people today. And that's because he stood firm for righteousness and he stood firm for truth. And be on guard because if you believe the same thing as John the baptizer believed, you too will be labeled a legalist. I have been called it before. And what that means is that's just some kind of crazy buzzword that unrighteous people 
like to place upon righteous people. When they see people that live in accordance with the word and the commandments of Almighty Yahweh and they do not have their act straightened out and they are serving Satan and they're an offspring of a viper, they want to call somebody that is righteous in his or her ways, they want to call them, oh, they're just legalistic. They're just worried about rules and regulations. And I'm here to tell you today that, yes, praise Almighty Yahweh, I'm worried to death about rules and regulations. And there's nothing wrong with being worried about them if they're Almighty Yahweh's rules. Now, if they're man's rules, you throw them out with the bathwater. Amen? But if they're Yahweh's rules, there is nothing wrong with you being worried about them. And don't you let anybody anywhere scare you off by using the word Oh, you legalist, Matthew, or oh, you legalist, TJ, you're just worried about Yahweh's rules. And yes, I am. I'm worried about them. I'm worried to death about them. I'm worried to death about them. What does the sister quote back there in Revelation? That the dragon is wroth. He is angry with those who have the testimony about the Messiah and who keep the commandments of Yahweh. Revelation 12:17 and Revelation 14:12, I believe talks about those two things. The dragon's angry with us and the world is angry with us and many people in churchianity are angry with those that really live what the Bible says to live. But don't back down. Don't back down. Go along with John the baptizer. Luke 3 verse 8. This is what he continues to tell these crowds that he's talking to. In verse 8 he says, Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance and don't start saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that the Almighty is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Brothers and sisters, true repentance produces fruit. And if there is no fruit in your life, ongoing, continually being produced, getting more bountiful and more plentiful, the longer that you are in the Messiah, if you are not producing fruit, then you have no root in your heart. And you are on your way to a devil's hell where you will be utterly destroyed and taken away from Almighty Yahweh for eternity. No fruit, no root. John the baptizer looks at these guys and he says, you need to produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. Repentance is not coming down to an altar and shedding a few tears and raising a couple of hands and then going back out of the church building and living the exact same way and doing the exact same things that you supposedly came down to the altar to repent of. Repentance is a change in direction. That's what I teach my children. That means like Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer before he came to the Messiah. And the Messiah knocked him down from heaven on the road to Damascus. He wasn't searching for the Messiah. He wasn't seeking after Christ. Christ found him. Paul didn't find Christ. He dropped him down right there on the road to Damascus, blinded him for three days, sent him to a devout keeper of the law named Ananias, who laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight, and then told him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of Yahweh. And then Saul went out and immediately, Acts 9 says, he preached in the synagogues that Yeshua was the son of Yahweh. Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. He repented from his sin. And that means he stopped murdering. He stopped sinning. The same thing goes for all ten of the commandments 
And all, however many you want to number the commandments. Some people say 613. I've never counted them. But if there's 613 and you're guilty of practicing one of them that applies to you, a sin, then you need to drop it. You need to repent. You need to repent. Putting other gods before Yahweh, taking His name in vain with the way that you live, with the oaths that you make, with the promises that you promise, and then not keep taking His name in vain. Breaking the Sabbath day, that's a commandment. When you repent of sin, transgression against the Sabbath, that means you stop breaking the Sabbath and you start keeping the Sabbath. You stop dishonoring your parents and you start honoring your parents. Amen? You quit hating your neighbor in your heart and you start loving your neighbor in your heart and you start loving your enemy in your heart. Matthew 5, 43-48. Because you're no better than a tax collector if you only love and salute those that love and salute you first. You've got to love your enemies. Yeshua teaches us. That means that an adulterer or an adulteress stops committing adultery, fornication, sexual immorality. The world is full of it. You cannot even ride down the highway without seeing a sign that sells sex. You can't do it. People will go to the lake of fire, the second death, if they do not produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. This is John the Baptizer's message, and I guarantee you I'm not talking as loud as John talked. I guarantee you I'm not being as harsh as John was. I ain't called nobody a brood of vipers yet in here. But John the Baptizer did, and he said, therefore you produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. Listen, don't you sit there and look me in the eye and tell me that you're saved from your sin if you're still living in your sin. Don't you tell me that. Therefore produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. John is not saying, brothers and sisters, let me make this very clear, so you do not mistake me. John is not saying that a person is saved by the fruit that he or she produces. John is saying that fruit is the product of a saved and new and changed heart. The reason that you'll produce fruit is if Yahweh saved you by His grace. And if He hasn't saved you by His grace, you can try and try and try and strive and try as hard in your flesh as you can but you'll never do it because you love the devil and you love his ways and you want to serve him and you're an offspring of vipers, John the baptizer said. You're not producing fruit consistent with repentance. Fruit is constant in a person's entire lifetime. Look at Psalm 92. I've got it on the screen. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of Yahweh... They thrive in the courts of our Almighty. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. To declare, Yahweh is just, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. It's talking about people. Righteous people. People that have a new heart. That don't bounce back and forth serving Yahweh and the devil one day and then the next day and then one day and the next day. Even in their old age, they produce fruit. And it's healthy fruit. It's green. Praise Yahweh. That's what this text is saying. Look at Luke 6, 43-45. Again on the screen. Yeshua says in Luke 6, 43, A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. 
That's why I know if I see somebody that's producing bad fruit, they're not saved. They're going to hell, to the lake. They're going to bust it wide open. It's a real place. But people don't really believe that it's going to happen. If they did, they would serve the Heavenly Father. If they did. When I was a little boy, oftentimes, oftentimes, not all the time, a lot of times I went against my father's wishes, but most of the time, because I was scared to death of my dad, which is a good thing, by the way, you're supposed to fear your father in a righteous way, because I was scared of the punishment that was due to me, I would obey him rather than disobey him. Likewise with Yahweh, and don't think that you're not supposed to fear Yahweh. The fear of Yahweh, Brother Arnold quoted it earlier, is the very beginning of wisdom and knowledge. You can't even possess any type of wisdom or knowledge without the fear of Yahweh. But there's no fear of Yahweh in the church world for the most part today. There's no fear of Yahweh. Let's just come and let's sit here for an hour. Let's listen to a ten minute sermonette. Let's make sure that we get out on time so we can go to Captain D's or Golden Corral or do what we want to do. And then, hey, we put our hour in for the week. We're not going to read the Bible. We're not going to study the Scriptures. We're going to go and do all the sins that Yahweh tells us not to do. And we're going to say, hey, bless God, we're saved by grace. It's just a greasy grace teaching. Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Eddie Long, all of these false prophets teach it today. They do not teach the Word of Yahweh. Turn on the television set and you will see that they are teaching manism Selfism, they're making you feel better about yourself, making you sit in a pew and feel comfortable about your sin when they need to be telling you, produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. That's what they need to be saying. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself if you give them the time of day and listen to that garbage that's coming out of that bad and corrupt tree. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. False prophets, beware of them. They come to you and they look like sheep and they bath and they look all white and woolly. And you think, how in the world could they be wrong? How in the world could this man be telling me something that's not true? Because of the way that they look on the outside. And Yeshua already told us. He already said, beware of them. They're going to come to you and they're going to look good. But you'll know them. How? By their fruit. Do they produce fruit? Do they teach the Bible? Do they teach Yahweh's law? Do they say produce fruit that is consistent with repentance? Hallelujah. Feel the Holy Spirit. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. And then John says, and don't start saying to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, Yahweh is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Look, what John is telling him here is this. Look, I don't want you to tell me about your genealogy. I don't want you to tell me about your background. I don't care if Abraham is your ancestor. I don't care if David is your ancestor. You'll still go straight to hell if you don't straighten your life up. That's what John is saying. It doesn't matter. These people would say, well, look, we can't be wrong because Abraham is in our ancestry. He's our father. John says, no, 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 no. Don't start that junk with me. Don't say that. That's what John is saying. He's saying you've got to produce fruit. Yahweh's able of these stones. There were probably stones there by the Jordan bank, by the river. And he's saying, look, if Yahweh wants to, don't you know that He made a man out of the dust of the earth? Don't you know that? Don't you know that Abraham and Sarah, she was well past her childbearing years, and Yahweh worked a miracle on her womb, and she produced Isaac? She didn't even believe it at first. She laughed. But Yahweh still blessed her. Yahweh can make children of him from these stones if he wants to. I don't want to hear about your genealogy. 
Remember when I taught through Romans 9, where in verse, I believe it's 6, where it says, they are not all Israel which are of Israel? Which basically means, in a nutshell, just because a person is a physical Israelite doesn't mean that they have a ticket to the kingdom of heaven. They have to have a heart change and fruit production as evidence of that heart change. Yahweh is able to raise up children from the stones there at the bank of the Jordan River. Luke 3, verse 9. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's not a good thing. That is not a refiner's fire. That is a fire of judgment and destruction. All through the Psalms, all through the prophets, there are two types of fires. One is a fire that righteous people go through to make them more righteous like gold and silver is refined in the fire. But when you look at the end of the book of Isaiah, the end of the book of Malachi, the end of the book of Daniel, and here in the ministry of John the Baptizer, and we're going to get more into it next week with the baptism of fire that you do not want to partake of. There's denominational churches that have flipped that around because you don't want to be partaking in the baptism of fire because it's a baptism, it's an immersion of judgment. When Yahweh destroys you like the chaff that's burned with fire that does not go out. The axe is sitting there. The lumberjack is sitting there at the root of the tree. That's the picture John's giving, the illustration. And he says every tree, he's talking about people, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and used for firewood. And that's all you are today if you're not producing fruit that's consistent with repentance, if you don't have a repentant heart, if you're not a Bible student, if you're not a Torah observer, if you're not constantly growing in grace and knowledge and becoming more and more made into the image of the Son and have a desire to love the things Yahweh loves and hate the things Yahweh hates, what you're doing is you're sitting here today and you're just a piece of firewood. That's it. And Yahweh's going to burn you up and destroy you unless you repent of your sin and believe and trust in His Son. That's what John is saying. If you're real, there will be a change in your life. Luke 3, verse 10. What then should we do, the crowds were asking him. When people ask what to do to John, John doesn't look at them and say, there's nothing you can do. Now, I believe that salvation is strictly by grace, through faith and not of ourselves. But every time somebody is pricked to the heart and asked the question, what am, I, what am I supposed to do to a righteous apostle or a prophet? The righteous apostle and prophet instructs them in what they're to do. He doesn't sit there and say, there's nothing you can do. He recognizes there's a pricking of the heart, so he gives them instruction. And notice, this is the crowds. This is the crowds. This is some of these people that he called brood of vipers back in verse 7. Listening to John the baptizer preach, and we don't have his whole sermon recorded here. Luke is telling us the pertinent parts. But listening to John the baptizer preach, they get pricked in their heart. Why? Yahweh. He's working on them. So some of these guys that he called brood of vipers, offspring of snakes, they've already had a change of heart. So they say, what are we supposed to do? John, what does repentance look like? And you know what John does? John gets very practical. He tells them exactly what they're supposed to do. Look at what he says in verse 11. He replies to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food 
must do the same. John says in a very practical way, if a person's repentant, if somebody's pricked in their heart, it'll make them into a giver. If you've got a surplus of things, if you've got two shirts, you see somebody that doesn't have one, give them your shirt. Man, I've got way more than two shirts. I've got a lot of tunics. And literally, that's what this word is, is the tunics, right? Some of you brothers don't even have one tunic, right? (laughs) But what this is talking about is being a giver, amen? It's talking about being a giver. And it's talking about the same thing for food. I like this water Brother Tim gives me here. (laughs) Praise Yahweh. A repentant heart is a giving heart. A repentant heart is a heart that that looks out for other people and not just yourself. Amen? A a repentant heart will see somebody that needs groceries and and you'll get them some groceries. A repentant heart is a is a heart where you'll see a family where the children don't have any shoes and you'll buy them some shoes. And you'll give the, the dad a shirt if he needs a shirt and the mother a dress if she needs a dress because you've got a heart of repentance and you want to do what's right. What should we do? Be a giver, John says. That's the first thing, be a giver. If you've got a surplus of material things, you give it to somebody that doesn't have anything. That's the heart of a, of a repentant person. That's what repentance looks like for these people here in verse 11. Verses 12 through 13, tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. You've got to understand these tax collectors were Israelite men that were hired by the Roman government. They were tax farmers. And they were hired to collect Roman taxes from the other Israelites in the land. John does not tell them, and I might get some kickback here from a few brothers in this congregation, (laughs) But John doesn't tell them to quit their job. He doesn't. He just tells them to do it honestly and do it fairly. John says, do not collect any more than what you've been authorized to collect. Because a lot of times these tax farmers would get to a house and the people at the house wouldn't know exactly what they owed the Roman government. And so that Israelite, that disloyal Israelite that had been hired by the Roman government, he would throw some in there for himself. And he'd get a little surplus. And John is saying, look, no. This is what repentance looks like for you, tax collector. Don't collect any more than you've been authorized to collect. Don't be pocketing money. Be honest and fair with people. Don't you love it when you meet people that are honest and fair? It does my heart good. But how often do you hear in the world today that we live in My granddaddy's told me before not long ago, grandson, it's hard to find honest people anymore. It's hard to find people that will do what they tell you they're going to do. John says that's what repentance looks like for the tax collector. Amen? Don't collect any more than you've been authorized to collect. Luke 3, verse 14. Some soldiers also questioned him. What should we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Again, most likely, from what I've studied, this is renegade Israelite men that are working for the Romans. And they're hired by the Roman government and they're taking money from people by force or they're taking money from people by false accusation. Literally, in the Greek, it's like a shakedown. It's like you turn somebody over and shake all the coins out of their pocket. That's what he's saying here. 
He says, don't do that. Be content with your wages. You see the context there? Don't try to rob people of their hard-earned money. But be content with what you're getting. Don't try to get more. This is what repentance looks like. And this isn't all of what repentance looks like. But do you see how that repentance means you do something? What are we to do then? You got two shirts? Find a fellow that doesn't have one and give one of them to him. You see somebody without food? Bless them with food if you've got enough food in your family. If you're a tax collector, don't take more than you've been authorized. If you're a soldier, don't shake somebody down and get every last drop or penny from them. Be content with what you're getting paid. And he would tell the murderer or the the person that hated somebody's heart, he'd say, stop it. Stop being bitter. Stop having hatred in your heart towards people. Right? He would go all through. If you're somebody that covets other people's things or if you're somebody that bears false witness against your neighbor, John would say, look, you've got to speak the truth and you've got to just be content with, with the things that you've got. Amen? Don't be a thief. He would tell people that just disregarded Yahweh's Sabbath day. He would say, look, look, guys. If there's truly a work in your heart, then you need to to keep the Sabbath. You need to honor the fourth commandment. Right? He would go through all of it. This is what repentance looks like. It's something that you do. It's something that you do. The principle is the same for us. And I want to ask you a question as I close the sermon out today. What sins are you holding on to like there's some kind of precious possession? They're not going to get anything for you. But grief, a hard, difficult life, turmoil, strife, stress, you're going to go through all kind of burdens and your sin is going to find you out. My mama used to tell me, man, when I was a little boy and I stole that little Cadbury egg from the grocery store and I thought that I was going to hide it from my mama. And she found out because she called grandmama and said, did you give Matthew a Cadbury egg? Matthew said, you gave him a Cadbury Easter egg. <laughs> grandmama said, I didn't give Matthew no egg. Come here, son. She looked at me and she said, son, be sure your sin will find you out. I've told that to my children many times. That just doesn't apply to little children, does it? That applies to grown-ups. Be sure your sin will find you out sooner or later. You might hide it from a man or from a woman for 75, 80 to 100 years, but at the judgment, it's going to find you out unless you repent of it and trust in the Son of Almighty Yahweh. You don't need to be in a love affair with your sin. You need to repent of your sin. Put it under the rug. What should I do? Think about it. You know it. You know your heart. You know your mind. You know what Yahweh's Word says. You ask John the baptizer, what do I need to do, John? What would he tell you? I guarantee you he wouldn't tell you to hang on to your sin. So you've got to let it go. A lot of us repent of a majority of sins, but we still like to keep some of them to ourselves and get into them every now and then. Come on now. And then come here and put on a show in front of the congregation? No. Who do you think you're fooling? Almighty Yahweh sees all. 
His eyes behold the evil and the good. They're roaming to and fro about the earth. You're not fooling anybody. And that axe that John the baptizer talked about in verse 9, it's laid right at your feet. And it's sitting there and it's ready to cut you down and throw you into the fire. That's Yahweh's axe right there. He's the lumberjack in the text. He's going to destroy you. You're going to have to be apart from Yahweh and not live for eternity. If you have no fruit, there's no root in your heart. And I pray, I pray that Yahweh saves you from your sins because if you are a wolf and not a sheep, then what the message that you heard from me today is very bad for you. It's very bad. It's not good at all. It's not good at all. In your stony heart, these words are going to come out of my mouth and they're going to bounce off of your stony heart. You're going to leave and you're going to think, man, who does that guy think he is? Boy, he just really gave us up the river. You're going to think, what right does he have to talk to anybody like that? The right that I have is from Almighty Yahweh. And I'm a minister of His Word and of His kingdom. And I minister through the Scriptures. And if you don't accept the words that I speak from the Bible, then you're not accepting Almighty Yahweh. That's the key. That's the key. But if you've got a heart of flesh, if Yahweh's taken that heart of stone out and given you a fleshly heart, then the words that you've heard today, although they may convict and although they may condemn, They'll be harsh coming out, but they'll be sweet when they come to fruition and they'll produce much fruit. And you'll love me in the end. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy, they're very deceitful. The enemy will kiss you. He'll tell you everything you want to hear. He'll be friends with you. He'll buddy up to you. But your closest, most honest friends will tell you the truth, Brother Ron. They will tell you the truth. And I want you to look at me today as a friend and not as an enemy. And these wounds, if you've been wounded, faithful shall they be if you're a sheep. And I hope that you are. If you are a sinner, which you are, (laughs) all of us are, and you have committed the most heinous crimes and you have done the most unlawful deeds towards Almighty Yahweh, and you have trampled the blood of Yeshua under your feet, I want you to know that if you repent of your sins and you trust in Yahweh's Son, He'll forgive you of all of those sins and He'll not remember them ever again. That's peaceful, isn't it? That's beautiful. He'll do it. And you don't have to come down to an altar you don't have to repeat words after Brother Matthew. All you got to do is say, Yahweh, I repent of my sin. And I'm trusting in Your Son. And I believe You sent Him for my soul. And He died for my sin. And I'm trusting in that. And read your Bible. Pray fast. Seek Yahweh. Yahweh will forgive you. Yahweh will forgive you, brothers and sisters. If you fall up under condemnation of His law today, He will forgive you. And you can have the most beautiful relationship with Him. And you don't have to worry about your old friends bringing up your past because you always wipe it away. You always wipe it away. And He doesn't remember it. You don't have to worry about any of that. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 
The bad news is, yeah, the axe is fixing to cut you down. The good news is it doesn't have to. If you repent and believe, you'll be saved from your sins. You'll be saved from the wrath of Yahweh. Oh, I hope and pray if there's anybody here today that hasn't done that and doesn't know Yahweh. And I hope and pray if there's anybody here today that thinks they're saved and they're really not. I hope that they'll repent. I hope that you'll repent of your sin and trust in in Yahweh and in Yeshua and be saved from your sin. I love you. I love you all with all my heart. Praise Yahweh. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for good, righteous, Yahweh-fearing men like John the Baptizer. Father Yahweh, I just preach because you've told us that it's through the preaching of the Word that people are saved because how can they hear the truth without a preacher and how can he preach lest he be sent? But I know as I stand here and pray, I know that I cannot, I cannot I cannot save anybody from their sins. I can't save my children from their sins. I can't save my wife from her sins. Only you, Yahweh. I can't save me from my own sins. Only you have the power to do it. And so, Father, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, Father, please, please, Father Yahweh, please, Father Yahweh, create new hearts. Create new hearts. Forgive me, Father, for my sins. Create new hearts in all five of my children. Create new hearts in every woman in here. Create new hearts in every man in here. Father Yahweh, do it, Yahweh, by your power. By your power, Almighty Yahweh, do it. And let everybody know the seriousness. The seriousness and the severity of your punishment and your judgment. Yahweh. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will be so fierce. Your wrath will be poured out. and It will be a lot worse than the flood that killed so many hundreds of thousands of people. And it will be a lot worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, it will be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment. Oh, Father Yahweh, make new hearts. Renew clean and right spirits, Father, and people today. Might the words of John the Baptizer become real in the life of your people today, including me, Yahweh. Including me. I love you, Father Yahweh. I love your Son. And I'm thankful. And Father, I pray, Father, before we leave here today, I pray that the message of the Gospel of Yeshua, Father, would penetrate into the ears of the people. And if they have not repented, they would know that if they do, and that they believe in your Son, and confess Him as Master, and accept Him through baptism, they will be saved from their sins. They will be saved from their sins. And then they will produce fruit consistent with repentance. Father, that is my prayer for the salvation of the soul of every man, woman, 
boy and girl, little infant in this place. Don't let anybody in this place right here, Father, die and go to the second death at judgment. Thank you, Father Yahweh. Thank you, Father Yahweh. I love you, Yahweh. And it's through your Son I pray. Amen.